All right, it's only in Mansfield I feel like a celebrity. All right, so that's good. <laughs> Laura and Tamara were such a, so much fun. When they came to Delhi, they were hanging out with us. They got to see a little bit of the church plan and what's happening. You should ask them to tell the story that happened in the airport. I mean, they had such funny stories that happened in Delhi. We were just laughing so hard. If you don't know us, we, uh, we graduated from Dallas Seminary eight years back. Uh, we started coming here during our time at the seminary. Uh, in fact, the first day we walked in here is, is the time you moved into this building. So that was the first time we thought you did it for us. So we came here uh, and uh, we were checking out different options and uh, Deepa, after the end of the service, my wife said, uh, this is where we're going. I said, okay, do you want to f- check a few more things? She's like, no, no, this is where we're going. So we stayed here for the rest of our time. My daughter was born in Dallas, so she grew up in the Sunday school here. Uh, you guys have been a big part of our family. I don't know if you uh, remember, Deepa was in and, out, in and out of hospital and our time in Dallas for a couple of years. I mean, she had a lot of uh, medical complications. You guys rallied around us as a family. You prayed for us and uh, supported us. You visited us. Uh, so you guys are very dear for us. So uh, even the way you have been part of our ministry, the vision in uh, India. So we really are grateful. It always feels like I'm coming back home when I come back to Mansfield. So that's, uh, that's the family. Uh, my, my wife Deepa, she uh, uh, helps with uh, Afghan refugees. There's a quite a few refugees from Afghanistan moving into Delhi, so she has a heart and passion for them. Uh, so she teaches them English, uh, kind of helps them with their community and stuff. So that's Deepa. My daughter Sanjana, again, she grew up in the Sunday school here. She is 11 years now. Uh, my son Sandeep and Sanjay, they were born in India. Sandeep is uh, eight years and Sanjay is uh, four years. So that's the family. All right, before we look at uh, God's word, why don't we just uh, pray for a minute. Father, we uh, thank you for this wonderful opportunity to come into your presence. Lord, though we we might be from different backgrounds in different churches in different parts of the world, but Lord, it is uh, is a privilege to come before King Jesus and to worship him. Even as we look at your word, I pray that you will open our hearts and our minds to receive your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Story is told of a bear uh, that was kind of held in a cage illegally for a long time. Uh, And the animal rescuers came and rescued the bear. They wanted to uh, bring the bear to the zoo, but unfortunately the zoo, they didn't have a habitat uh, for the bear. They didn't have any bears in the zoo. So they they kept the bear in the cage for a little longer while they built this beautiful habitat for the zoo. They, They brought in all the things that the bear would love, waterfall and pool and trees and flowers and um, uh, all these things. And, uh, and the day came when, they, uh, when the habitat was ready and they wanted to release the bear into this beautiful place. They brought the cage. They invited the community. They invited kids and families and the press and everybody just uh, were waiting expectantly to see the reaction of the bear. So they put the cage in this place. They opened the cage uh, and the bear walked out. The bear walked out and it was looking around uh, at what was going on. It, it looked at the people. It looked at this nice place. It was sniffing around a little bit. Uh, after a few minutes, the, the bear took three steps to the left and came back to the middle. Looked around a bit again uh, and then took three steps to the right and came back to the middle. And as the crowd was just waiting to see what the bear's going to do, is it going to run and jump into the pool? Is it going to climb the trees? What is it going to do? The bear kept doing the same thing again and again. It was going three steps to the left, come back three steps to the right. And slowly, the people realized this is what the bear had been conditioned all its life. It's been held in a cage, which is that big, and it had just for its reality, could just move three feet to the left, three feet to the right. 
And as I think about that image, sometimes even in our own lives, in our walk with Christ, even in our own families, even in our own marriages, even in our own walk, uh, we are like that bear that moved three steps to the left and three steps to the right. But we encounter a gospel, we encounter the words of Jesus in the pages of the gospel, the reality and the hope of the gospel and the power of the gospel that is unthinkable, the promises of the gospel that is unimaginable. Sometimes our life ends up like the bear. And even this morning, we're going to open our hearts and allow the words of Jesus to stir our hearts to understand what he is saying from his, from his word. We look at Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. It's a common passage, familiar one. Some of us even might know it by memory. Uh, you will see that these are Jesus' last words uh, uh, in fact, it is, it is not just the climax of his life and ministry, but it is the beginning of our life and our vision and mission. In fact, in these words, in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 onwards, Jesus is answering the question, what's next for us as his disciples? When he said these words, the disciples were cowering in darkness. They were afraid. Uh, they were fearful. Uh, they were scattered. They were ashamed that they had betrayed Jesus. But hearing these words, it transformed them into a force for the gospel. They became fearless ambassadors for Jesus. Now notice Jesus' words are, are very simple, it's very clear, it, it's understandable, it's practical, it's not ambiguous. And, and these words should form the greatest mission of the church. These words should form the greatest mission of our lives as disciples of Jesus. In fact, this should be the overarching passion. I understand we have different passions, passion for music or art or business or teaching. Or we have all these passions in our lives, but there is one overarching passion that every other passion submits, and it is in these words. Uh, this, is, uh, this should be the greatest joy for any Christian, for any follower of Christ. In fact, uh, this is what it means to be a Christian. Let's look at his words. Let's look at Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 28. I'm reading from verse 18. It says, And Jesus said to them, came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to place three words before you that I feel captures the essence of this passage. The first word is authority. Authority, verse 18. It says, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, the word authority sometimes is misunderstood depending on your background, depending on what culture we come from. Sometimes we look at this word and the image that comes to our mind is an authoritarian or a totalitarian or a dictator, right? Uh, but this is a common word in scripture. Now, in scripture, there are two, two uh, meanings that are associated with this word. There are two components or elements that goes along with this understanding this word authority. One is the right to do something, the other is the power to do something. Now in this world, some people have the right to do something, they may not have the power to do it. 
or some may, may have the power to do something, but may not have the right to do it. Uh, we understand this as parents, as teachers, as uh, somebody maybe from law enforcement. It's only when you have both the right and the power do you have authority. And you will notice that Jesus had the right and the power and he had absolute authority. In fact, you, will, you cannot miss this in the Gospels. Right? In the Gospels, uh, Jesus, when you look at his life and his ministry, he had authority over different spheres of life. He had authority over sickness, over demons, over wind and sea and storm. Jesus had authority over people. He would call people to be his disciples and and people left things instantly and and followed him. Uh, Jesus had authority when he taught uh, the scriptures. In fact, at the end of Matthew chapter 7, when he's finishing the Sermon on the Mount, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. And they said, who is this who teaches as one who has authority and not like the scribes? In fact, Jesus has authority to forgive sins. In Mark chapter 2, when he heals the paralytic, he calls the scribes and he tells them, I'm doing this so that you will know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. Jesus has authority. But in this passage here in verse 18, you see uh, there's an interesting phrase. It says the authority was given to him. All authority was given to him. This was something given by the father and only the father can give this. What is happening? What's happening here? Now when Jesus came into this earth to live his earthly life, he came to do the will of the father. When he was born as an infant, when he was helpless, he was cared for by his parents, he was fleeing Herod. In all that, when he became human, incarnate flesh, he was born as a slave. He humbled himself. Even when he prayed, he said, not my will, let thy kingdom come, let thy will be done. On earth, when Jesus lived in his life and his ministry, he modeled perfect obedience to Christ. Even on Gethsemane, He said, let your will be done. It was because of Jesus' perfect obedience. Uh, It was because of Jesus' perfect life. It was because of Jesus' substitutionary death on the cross for your sin and for my sin. He purchased our salvation and redemption. This authority was given to him. We see this in Philippians chapter 2 verse 6. It says, who? It's talking about Jesus. Who? Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being formed in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. This is him. This is him. All authority was given to him. My friends, uh, in light of his obedience, in light of his sacrificial death, Jesus is given a name above every other name. 
And the first thing we encounter in these words is the absolute authority of Jesus. Jesus has absolute authority over my life, over every area of my life, over my marriage, over my money, over my resources, over my gifts. Jesus has absolute authority. And my friends, as a, as a disciple, as a follower of Christ, it should be our greatest delight. Oh, it should be our greatest joy. It should be a cause of celebration for us to come under his absolute authority. It should move our hearts with delight. Oh, it should lead us to worship him. When we come under his authority, we understand it is something that is good for us. Maybe you're sitting here, maybe this is your first time here, or maybe you've had some bad experience with people in authority. Maybe you've been treated bad. Maybe you've been abandoned. Uh, maybe you've been insulted. Maybe you, you're, you're finding it difficult to trust people in authority. And my friend, I wanna, I wanna gently encourage you. Jesus is not the same as the authority of the world. He is different. He is gentle. Oh, he, he says, come to me, all who labor and heavy labor. I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke, which is light and easy. This is Jesus. Jesus can be trusted. And right here, we see the absolute authority of Jesus. And when he says that, whatever he says next makes sense. He's going to give us an agenda. That's the next, second thing we're going to see. His agenda, verse 19. Verse 19, it says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Jesus gives us his agenda. He has absolute authority. He gives us his agenda. He gives us a goal. He gives us a mission for not just the disciples back then, but even for us today. And my friends, I want to suggest to you, there is nothing bigger Oh, there is nothing grander. Oh, there is nothing more inspiring. There is nothing more worthwhile or satisfying than pursuing this mission of Jesus with the passion of our hearts. There's nothing else. His mission is simple. He says, go make disciples. Go make disciples. And you ask where? He says to all nations, how big is the scope? There is not any, it's not just for a neighborhood. It's not just for our, for our friends. It's not, it is to all the world, to all the nations. The mission is to bring all people under the authority of King Jesus. I want to suggest to you that there is no nation, no people group exempt from this glorious mission of Jesus. It doesn't matter how scary it is, it is, doesn't matter how unreached it is, it is, doesn't matter how far it is, there is nobody exempt from this beautiful mission of Jesus. Now even my own life, when I was in college, I had an opportunity to come to Auburn, Alabama to, to study my engineering. Now that doesn't happen quite often for us, but I, I got the chance to come, I was given a scholarship, I was the first in my 
family to move to the States to study. So it was a big deal. So when I was at the airport trying to leave, uh, they literally garlanded me. They put a garland over me. They were celebrating and all that. So I came here and I loved the U.S. I loved everything about it. I was earning more money than my dad was making back then. I had a car. I had a cell phone. I was, I was, happy. I was leading a good life. And I would... Uh, one of the things I would do is I would stock up the refrigerator, right? I would buy all the good food, right? I would buy these donuts. I would buy, I would buy the pecan pie. Uh, I would buy the ice creams. I would buy the great value sweet tea, which is the sweetest on earth. So I buy that couple of gallons. I would buy the chocolate milk. I would fill my refrigerator with all the wonderful food. And I would take the picture and send it to my mother. I said, this is what I'm eating. This is America. I love it, right? I love it. <laughs> In fact, the first, I'm going to tell you a story. The first time, the first week I was there in Auburn, they have an interesting tradition. I don't know if you're familiar with that. They throw toilet papers on trees, unused, <laughs> unused toilet papers, right? So they do this. And I, as an international student, I was there and they were doing this. When Auburn wins a football game, they would go to this place called Tumor's Car. So I said, okay, let's go. So I had my uh, throwaway camera from Walmart. I got it. And I was taking pictures. And then uh, one, of my, one of my classmates who I got introduced the previous week was walking uh, towards me. And I said, she's a nice blonde girl. I said, hey, uh, you want to take a picture? I'm just taking pictures. You want to take a picture? She said, yeah. Now, uh, I don't know if you realize, now in India, when we take a picture, especially where I'm from, from south of India, when you take a picture with a girl, uh, you, you kind of have a one-arm distance from the girl, right? So the girl's going to stand there. You're going to stand here. You're going to take your Indian pose. You're going to put your hands on the side, and you smile, right? That's what we do. So I'm getting ready with my Indian pose, right? I'm, I'm getting ready. So I, said my, I told my friend, you take the picture. I'm, I'm getting ready. And soon, this girl moved closer to me, and she put her arm around my waist. And I was shocked. I'm like, what's going on? So I'm trying to, I'm trying to figure it out, right? But there's another thing you guys do. I don't know if you realize this. It's definitely cultural. There's another thing you guys do is uh, when you take a picture, you get your cheeks very close to each other. <laughs> I, I don't know what that is. but So, so I'm, I'm kind of getting ready and I'm trying to figure this out. And suddenly she's got her cheek next to me and we take this picture. Now listen, I wasn't married. I was single. I was having a good time. But still, it was, it was kind of awkward for me. So I took the picture. I sent it back home. <laughs> along with the refrigerator pictures, right? Uh, I was talking to my dad, and I said, uh, I asked, asked my dad to put my mom on the phone, but she's not coming. She's not talking to me. It was a week. She's not talking. I said, Dad, what's happening? Uh, he said, uh, it's about the picture. I said, I said, what picture? He said, it's the picture with the girl. I said, what about the picture? My dad said, my mom's been fasting and praying so that I don't fall into temptation, right? <laughs> So this is my culture, right? I moved here, but that was the first time in Auburn I, I, I went to a Bible-believing church and I was listening to the gospel. And I would see people leave the comforts of the U.S. to move to Africa or China as journeymen or do all these amazing stuff. And God was slowly using his word to move my heart, right? And he was saying, hey, from John 21, that was a key passage for me. Do you love me more than these? And for two years, and I, I really wrestled with that. I said, God, I don't know if I'll eat the food I'm eating here again. I don't know if I'll wear the clothes I'm wearing. I don't know who's going to marry me. But God kept saying, this is the agenda. Go. Go. My friend, where, where I come from, I, we live in New Delhi now. 
came to Dallas, we, we, we got moved our hearts to move to the north of India. Now, in North India, uh, there's, there's uh, something called the 1040 window. It's across the globe. It's 10 degrees uh, and 40 degrees north of the equator. Most of the unreached people groups in the world live in that strip of the globe. There's 6,000 unreached people groups in the world, approximately. 2,000 of them live in that segment in North India. Where I come from, I live in New Delhi. New Delhi has 25 million people. It's the second largest city in the world. Less than 0.1 Christian. In fact, there's a statistic that came out recently this year from Open Doors. They, they had a list of 50 countries that are dangerous for Christians right now. India is ranked number 11. Now, the top 10, if you look at it, they are either war zones or ruled by a violent dictator. India is the top democratic country on the list of countries that are dangerous. But God says, it is to those places. It is to those places that he is calling us to take and shine for the gospel. There is no people group, no nation exempt, no matter how difficult, how dark, how lost. In fact, I love reading the missionary biographies. And one of the biographies is about William Carey. Now, William Carey, when he moved to India, uh, he, he, he lost his wife. His wife became mad and died. He lost his child, uh, but he moved. Uh, you won't believe this if you read his story for seven years. I want to think about this. He's getting ready. He gets his Bible. He goes out with all the stuff happening in his family. He goes out to preach the gospel. First month, three months, six months, one year, two years, five years, seven years. Not a single person responded to the gospel. It is to these impossible, it is to these daunting, it is to these hopeless situations and places that God says, go, go and make disciples. Because he says, I have all authority. I have all authority. And he gives us this incredible mission to partner with him. Maybe you're like me. You're saying, I don't have resources. I don't have training. I'm afraid. The weight of the, of, of the need is just, uh, is, is, I cannot handle it. It is lonely. It is hopeless. Maybe you're sitting here feeling like Ezekiel in cha- Ezekiel chapter 37 when he sees the vision of the dry bones. When God says, do you think these bones will live? He says, I don't know. God says, I have authority. I've given you an agenda but he gives us an assurance. We're gonna see that next. What's his assurance? Verse 19, look at his assurance. He says, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. My friend, when Jesus spoke these words, he had 12 disciples. One of them betrayed this, these 11 guys, and it is to them, Jesus says, this humanly impossible task, but he says, go, I am with you. I am with you. Jesus knows your limitation and my limitation. Jesus knows that what he is calling us to do is humanly impossible and we cannot do it alone. Jesus knows the road ahead of you is filled with despair. Oh, it is filled with hopelessness. It could be even dangerous, filled with anxiety. It could be disappointing. It is filled with tears and even opposition. But he says, I'm with you. I'm with you. And my friends, that galvanized the disciples. That transformed the disciples. That electrified the disciples. 
to go literally to the ends of the world. In Delhi, we, we, we started planting this church a year back. We were involved in different things, but God moved us to a, the south part of Delhi uh, to move there and to plant this new church that we're doing. We gathered eight people in our house. We prayed. We said, we're going we're gonna to plant this church among the English-speaking professionals in India. Now, there is a growing demographic of people in the city who are moving from all parts of India and all over the world who are basically secular, right? They, uh, they speak English, they're highly educated, they travel abroad to study or for vacation, they come back, they are upwardly mobile, but absolutely no desire for God, right? They're either atheists or agnostics, God is their money, success is what they want. You can take them from India, put them in New York City, they will, they will fit right in. They have the same hopes and same dreams. But that's a growing demographic in the cities. And God put a desire in us to, to be able to plant a church. And we started with eight people. In March, we started our first service with, with 30 people who showed up. And we started doing these. Uh, we would meet with people in coffee shops and uh, homes and parks and anywhere they would want to hear the gospel. We, we were meeting with them. And today, after six, seven months, God, in a beautiful way, this is something unimaginable. This is not what we expected. Beautiful way, God has grown a community of 90 people to be able to meet every Sunday with kids, and it's amazing. People from different backgrounds, people from different religious leanings, and all kinds of people from different cultures and language coming together to hear the gospel. And one of the things that we see is as much as this is beautiful, God is doing something amazing. A couple of months back, there's a guy who wanted to, who has been coming to our community, and this is very common. He is from a, he's not a believer, he's been coming, and I sat him in a coffee shop, and I asked him this question. I said, hey, you've been coming, right? You've been hearing, what do you think? And he said, it's wonderful. I said, I asked him this pointed question. I said, hey, if you're gonna die today, do you think you're gonna go to heaven? And he said, no. And I said, why? What's the reason? Uh, He said, I I think I need to do much more for God. I I feel like I need to do much more. And that's when I laid out the gospel again. He's been hearing the gospel, but again, I laid out the gospel. I said about how it's something that's been done for you. And in an amazing way, God opened his eyes. Right there in that coffee shop, you're having cappuccino. He opened his eyes and suddenly he realized the gospel. I mean, he went, he had to pick up his wife from the metro station because we had a dinner party after that. He was walking, uh, he got his wife and he tells me there's one song that keeps coming back to him again and again because he heard that in church, you're not a slave to sin, but you're a child of God. And he said that, that song was just coming and he said there was a weight that was lifted from his shoulder. He felt tremendous joy. He brought his wife to the dinner party. We sat there, I said, hey, you gotta share your story right here. He shared the story with everybody in the dinner party. I said, hey, why don't you share it in the church tomorrow? So tomorrow, next morning, it was Saturday night, next morning, he shared it in church. And I asked him, why, why don't you get baptized? He's like, I'll get baptized. We didn't know where to baptize him, right? We meet in a hotel in a basement. So I brought him home. We got the kid's pool. We put some water in the kid's pool. We made him lie down. We said, get baptized. The entire church came. It happened in our terrace. This energized, energized the community. We've been doing something, right? So there's something beautiful happening. But one thing that happens in Delhi is anytime you say you're meeting for a church, nobody will give a space. In fact, just this Sunday, the Sunday passed in India, it's, it's already uh, Sunday night right now. So the, the, the hotel canceled. 
And this keeps happening every time because they don't want to give their thing to church. So they canceled us. We had to look for another place. We were scrambling. So one of the things we said is we, we're going to find a place so that we can meet every, every Sunday so that it's with us 24-7. We don't have to be kicked around. So I've been looking for the last three months. I've been into so many basements, so many places, trying to ask if people will give it for a church. Nobody gives it. And I change my language. I say, we're, looking, we're doing a training center. We do counseling and marriage. But, but nobody wants to give, right? Just last week, believe it or not, last week, last two weeks, and I'm driving on the freeway uh, uh, where we were doing shopping with Laura and Tamara and all that. We were driving on the freeway. There's a huge number on a, on a, build, on a hoarding and usually I, there's all these numbers. And I, I said, okay, let me just call this number. I called this guy. He says he's got a space in something called Hoskas Village. Now, Hoskas Village is the cultural hub for Delhi. That's where young people love to flock. It's got the nightclubs. It's got the bars. Morning, it's got fashion boutiques. It's got a beautiful park. It's an amazing place. That is the hub for music and culture and fashion. Right? And he says he's got a space there. And I knew it's going to be expensive. I didn't want to go. He said, why don't you come and see? I took a couple of my guys from the church. We said, let's go see the place. It was amazing. In Delhi, you cannot find parking. Parking is such a big issue. This place has 200 parking. 200 cars can be parked. This has restaurants. It's a commercial space. No one's going to oppose to the church. It's got a beautiful park. We said, this is perfect. Right? And somebody said, in that, in that place, there's never been a church before. That place has been there for 1,500 years, never been a church. So we sense this. This is amazing. And out of the blue, the, the, the landlord, the owner, he is talking to us, and I'm trying to use all this language, and he figures out it's a church. So he is telling me, listen, he's telling me, hey, if you guys meet here, and if your church meets here, you will grow. This is what he's telling me. He's saying, this place needs people like you to do religious work, so this is good. We want you to meet. Tremendous. I've never met a guy like this, right? And, and the couple of guys with me, they, were, they, couldn't, they didn't know what to say, right? So we're talking. He's even willing to bring the price down. This is unimaginable for us. And I'm thinking, how am I going to do this, right? How is this going to happen? I can see tremendous favor. I can see this amazing location. I see it's strategic. All that's happening. And I'm trying, how can we pay for this? What do we do? and I need to sign the lease in three days, I get a phone call from a guy, and this has never happened to me, this is something you read in storybooks and stuff, but this guy calls me, out of the blue, I've invited him twice to church, he's never come, I've never met the guy, so he's talking to me, and I was telling him about, hey, this is what we're thinking, he knows Hoskas Village, and he said, hey, that's a great place, uh, he says, well, what are you looking at, so I said, this is what I'm doing externally, this is what I'm doing internally, blah, 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 uh, he thinks about it for a minute, and he said, hey, I can, let, me, let me help you out with the first year, first year's rent. I could not believe it, right? So I keep the phone, and I'm thinking, did he mean first year? Did he mean first month? What, he, what is he saying, right? Did he understand what I'm saying? I'm like confused. I'm like, oh God, I'm filled with so much unbelief, and I'm, I'm going to sign the lease in three days, and I'm like, and he calls me back again the day before. He said, hey, have you signed the lease? I said, no, I've not signed the lease. Uh, it's going to happen. He said, don't worry about the first year. Right? This is something strategic. We want to we come alongside with you. I've never met the guy. And I mentioned this to church. Somebody says, hey, how many people can sit? And now let me tell you, the space is the size of your stage. It's not even, This is actually literally the space. We're going to fit in 120 people in this place. And he, I said, 120 people can sit. And this family says, we'll give you 120 chairs. There's another lady who walked up after service. She has a pouch. And she said, I spoke to my husband. 
uh, we want to give our wedding jewelry. Now, wedding jewelry is very sacred to the family. They pass it on to the kids and stuff. She said, we want to give this, right? We want the church to move there. This is amazing what God is doing. And even as I was preparing this, God is telling me, I have absolute authority over the nations, over people, over the places. It doesn't matter how dark and how unreached. I will build my church. And he says, go. And he says, go. Go and make disciples. And he says, I will never leave you. My friends, this is what God says. In a beautiful way, in William Carey's story, uh, after seven years, William Carey stayed. He stayed in India. If I were in his place, I would have run away after two months. I'm like, this is not worth it. He stayed, right? In fact, he translated the Bible, whole of Bible, into six languages. He translated parts of the Bible into 29 languages. There's another guy, fascinating, John Getty. He was called to be a missionary in New Hebrides. And this is what it says in his epitaph. It says, when, when John Getty came to New Hebrides, uh, there were no Christian. When he died, there were no heathen. My friend, God is doing something incredible. And he says, I have all authority and I'm calling you on this mission to go. And he says, you can be assured of my presence. And my friend, the reason why I trust Jesus, the reason why I know he will not abandon me, he will not abandon you, is because he did not abandon us on the cross. In the moment of our greatest trial, in the moment of our greatest storm, in the moment when he had to face the full fury and the wrath of God, the sinless Christ, he had to face it on my behalf, he did not abandon me. When people challenged him, they ridiculed him. They, they, they said, why don't you come down on, from the cross? If he had done that, my story is over. But he stayed on the cross. And he took up the cross for me. It's because he did that for me on the cross. I know he will never leave me. He will never forsake me. And that's why Paul says, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. My friends, I don't know, I don't know what your situation is. But I want to encourage you, God is in the business of redeeming all things. He's in the business of redeeming all nations, all races, all cultures, all people to himself. Maybe you're sitting here and maybe you feel God nudging you. Maybe even to your own family. Maybe to your own neighbors. Maybe to your co-workers. Maybe God is asking you to do something even radical. Maybe something that you've never done before. My friend... Would you joyfully submit to the one who gave his life for you? In Delhi, we sense his authority. Even though it's only 0.1 Christian, we sense his authority. We sense his mission and agenda. We sense the assurance of his presence. And it is true for you even here in Mansfield. Let's pray. Father, even this morning, as we come before your glorious word, I pray, Lord, that you will give us a heart, oh, that will rejoice in what you're doing. And it will also give us a heart to, to be able to come and gladly obey. I pray for friends who are facing some difficult situations, even in their own life. Maybe they've been sharing the gospel with their own family, with their own husband or wife or parents or children. Or maybe the neighbors. 
And maybe some of, some of them here are just about to give up and they see the hopelessness of the situation around them. Father, I pray that even through your word that you will help us understand you have absolute authority. And I pray, Lord, that they will, they will sense this confidence of your mission and the assurance of your presence in their lives. I thank you because you're with us. It's a, it's a joy for us to serve you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to us, uh, listening to me and uh, giving me this opportunity. Uh, if you want to hear about India or Delhi, I'll be outside. You're welcome to come and uh, talk to me. Thank you.